Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. So how did you and Will meet? Okay, I've known Will since 1984. Um, that was during the... Um, Oh God, the dance era, the, the, he was an artist. Him and Cindy myself were on, oh my God, I just said his name to you. He was on, oh God, I can't, he's the one that did all of the, the, the dance um, records. He did Beat Street. Um, oh God, Arthur Baker. Beard. Right. What was, I can't believe I can't, Arthur's going to kill me. So <laughs> he was an artist on Arthur Baker's label. And because I had been coming there doing sessions, after I did Funky Sensation, then Jelly Bean started hiring me, then, then Arthur started hiring me, and I was there. And Will personally, I think Will sang backgrounds with me on one of their records. And then they, they gave him a room in Arthur's place that he was recording his record. So I'm thinking it's going to be dance, but it was not. It was like a mixture of R&B and jazz. And he was just like, would you sing on my record? And I said, sure. And that's how we first met. So I've known him since 1984, he says, 83, 84. And we've always been friends. He's always been another one of those funny guys that no matter what I was going through in my life, he would always, um, you know, they would always, he would always check on me. You all right? You know, I, I was thinking about you, whatever. And he was married. He was one of those young men that was married very, very young. So he always was so mature to us because he had a child, a son, he was married. He had a, still had a nine to five and was doing music late at night and then having to go straight to work. And we were like, are you kidding me? So he was always one of my dear friends. Um, after I toured with, um, after 19, so we were friends throughout the whole 80s, 90s. We sang on, we did a lot of sessions together. They used to call us the Airedales, me, him, and Cindy, myself. So we, and, you know, we would sing on all, all the Mariah, all the pretty airy stuff. And you know, when I came off of the tour, I had myself personally came from a really rough relationship. That's why I had been with someone for eight years and it was, there was some abuse and it was just, it was not good, you know? Um, so I had gotten hired by Brian Ferry. Brian Ferry saw a video of me singing with Shaka live. And he said, I want that girl. I want her to go on tour. And so I get this call that Brian Ferry wants you to go on tour. I was like, who's Brian Ferry? But I mean, I knew he was, but it was just like, and then they played me stuff. I said, oh, I like that song. I know him. Sight unseen. I got the tour. And it was one of the most, it was at the perfect time because if I'm honest, I had being a little personal, but I had 
like I said, some personal issues with this boyfriend and I needed to get out of the States. I needed to, I needed a reset. And so this tour was all Europe. It was six months of me being out of the country. And I did it. It was one of the diff- most different because we're talking about a legend in that sort of music. He was a star in England. He was huge records, you know. So I was on tour with Brian Ferry. I came home and I moved from my, I had a condo that I was about to buy, but it was in a very remote area. So basically I moved to a doorman type of building where, you know, my parents would feel comfortable that this guy wouldn't come and try to find me without being in would make it easy for him. So I moved into this building and Will lived there. He had just gotten separated from his wife. We lived a floor apart and, you know, he kept inviting me to the movies. And I was like, oh, you know what? You're so sweet. He was like, no, you, what, you can't go to the movies with me? And I'm just going, no. I said, you know, let me just say this. Was, you know, you are just coming out of a marriage. I do not want to be your rebound relationship. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really a one woman, you know, one man, woman. I'm, you know, when I'm in relationships, I'm in them for long. And, you know, you need to go out and so you while oops, he killed me. And he was like, what do you think I've been doing? You know, because I had been out of the country for all year, basically. He said, he said you know, I realized, you know, the, the women that I've been, you know, meeting are looking at me as I'm a star. So, you know, I don't, I can't trust what they're, why they want to be in a relationship with me. He said, and we've been friends for years. And I'll be honest with you, Scott, I have been told for years that he likes me. But I was like, he's married. I don't do married men. That's nice. You know, everyone else knew that he kept talking about me outside of, you know, telling people that I was his dream girl. And I'm going, what? This is by the time we're together. But I was just like, so whenever he would, I would work with him and do a session with him, you know, we would be doing a session and he would say something complimentary or you're so pretty or whatever. And I would say, oh my gosh. And I would take his hand and I would say, that's a nice wedding ring you're wearing. It's a beautiful ring. And he would be like, okay, I get it. So by this time we living in the same building, he's on one, the third floor, I'm on the fourth floor. Um, we would see each other. And when I moved in, he was there with his, with his kids. And he would say, okay, you know, later on, you're not with him anymore. I'm not married anymore. Now what's your excuse? And I was like, I still was like, nope, nope, because we've been friends. And, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. I can just see this. We won't be friends anymore. And he was like, nope, nope. I tell you, you know, you know, you could, we could, we could make this work still. And it would be a dream relationship. And I fought and I fought. And then I had people speaking to me saying the best beginning to any relationship is friendship. And I'll be honest with you, Scott, I really hadn't had that before. Most of us meet people because we're attracted to someone. We see, oh, he's cute or she's pretty. And I had never done it that way. And I remember uh, when I had moved in, my dad came and he was building something for, because I lived, I came and moved in with one of my brothers. So my parents felt comfortable, you know, you've been dealing with this, you know, this aggressive guy, move in with your brother. I moved in with my brother and because Will lived a floor below, he would, come by. It seemed like he always would, hey, just come by and say hi. And he did this one time when my dad was there. And when he left, my dad said, that guy likes you. My father was like, he really likes you. I was like, daddy, you just, he said, trust me, nobody comes, no one comes to see you like this. And, you know, just because they want to say hi, you know? And so people were in my ear saying to me, like, you know, why don't you, why don't you give it a try? And I'd be honest with you. I just was like, I don't know, you know, rebound. 
And it turned out to be the best relationship. Everything that I, and even now I'm talking and he's downstairs, so you can't hear me, but you know, who knew? So I would tell anyone, friendship is super important. And most of us don't do it that way. We don't take our time getting to know people. And I know it's a different world now. Everybody's swiping and yeah. So that's how we ended up getting together, but we've known each other forever, it seems like. Wow. What 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 year, what year was it when you finally connected? Um, so it was 95, 94, 95. So imagine I've known him for 10 years. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, when we first started dating. Now remember, I'm living with my brother, he's newly separated. He would send me beautiful flowers and he knows I love flowers. I have a beautiful bouquet from our anniversary was last week, Thursday. And he would send flowers all the time. And my brother was like, hey man, you gotta stop sending flowers because now my girl, she wants me to do flowers. You gotta stop, man. <laughs> so it was just strange. I had never experienced love like that uh, and friendship. So it, it, even now when I look back on our lives um, with our daughter, and everything we've been through at the core of us is friendship because um, not to say love dies, but we've been through some things in our life. You know, we've lost a a daughter recently, a stepdaughter, and my husband got very ill at one point, had an autoimmune disease and was very sick, you know, and throughout all of that, you know, a lot of people don't stay when someone is sick. He was literally crippled, lost his voice. He couldn't talk. And that's his career. So, and I remember his family was so, um, thank you for staying with my son, with his mother. And I'm like, what? I'm not doing it for you guys. I love this man. I'm not, I appreciate you saying thank you, but who does that? Who leaves? I know people do it, but for me, I just was like, I saw your face when I said some people do it. They just can't take it. You know, they, they can't, they can't fight through it. And for me, I did, you know, because like I said, there was, this was a man who uh, I can remember when I was going through stuff with the ex who was abusive. I remember one time Will called me from London, London, England, and he had just fallen asleep and I was trying to get out of his, out of his grips. It sounds crazy, but it's true. And the phone rang, and this was before cell phones. He called and it was Will. He was like, Hey, and I said, Hey, and I was talking quietly because I didn't want him to wake up and be mad. He was like, are you okay? And I was just like, yeah, I'm okay. But inside, of course, I wasn't. And he was just like, um, I came across my mind and I just wanted to make something, something just went through me. I just want to make sure you're okay. And I never forgot it, obviously. I thought, and this was way before we ever got together. This was a couple of years before. So, you know, when I look back on it, even when we make each other angry, there's love that we, no one, when they talk about love, is so much more than just the physical aspect of that so for me it's my buddy he's my best friend i come to him first before my mother was my first best friend and now i have him so i bounce everything off of him and we both were in the industry so there's little um jokes little insider things that only we get and my family will be around and they're like what are y'all laugh? what are y'all talking about if we're all watching like a tv show you know we know oh yeah his in-ears are not working or the monitors must be off or, you know, or the click track is not working. They don't know what we're talking about. So there's joy in that, what we have in common. Wow. That's a beautiful story, Audrey. Thank you for sharing Thank that. You. Thank you so much for asking. As you can tell, I love people. 
I love to, I'm like D-Train, but not as silly as D. He's, <laughs> he's, there's no one like D-Train. I mean, I feel like, you know, your career musically has had such a, a strong foundation and now you've had this relationship that's got such a strong foundation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good word. Um, how did you first meet Shaka? Um, wow. Good question. So there was a guy named, okay. When I first went, worked with Shaka, Shaka had a West Coast band and she had an East Coast band. And I know that's weird. Pretty smart though. So any gigs that were on Seattle, you know, anything on the West Coast, closer to the West Coast, and mostly her jazz gigs. She had a band that was led by a guy named Melvin Davis, who still is our leader right now. When we did East Coast gigs, she had a guy named Jerry Barnes, who is the MD for Chic now uh, with Nile Rogers. So I was hired to be in the Chic, the, 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 the East Coast band. So... Um, I would never even meet the West Coast guys. And so New York, we did the gig. My first gig, I remember, was uh, Mother's Day in 1990. The opening act was uh, Gerald Levert. And that was my first gig with her. And I was nervous as heck because, if I'm honest, I never saw myself as a Shaka Khan type singer. I never, I loved her. But that was not my, in my mind, I was like, I can't say that woman. That woman is, no, I don't even have a, she has a horn type of voice. And I was more, you know, the, the pretty mellow, so I thought. So it was a challenge. Uh, Cindy Mizell recommended that me, because we sang together so much. She was like, let's go do Shaka. We're going to kill this gig. So I did it. She brings me in the dressing room and she says to Shaka, how'd, you, how'd she do? Did you like her? She said, she's good. She, she, she was annoyed with somebody else. So she was like, she's good. She's good, Cindy. Nobody, what's the big deal? So I didn't think I was ever going to do the gig again. And then the next gig that she had, Cindy wasn't available. And it was me singing with someone else, um, Jerry's sister, Jerry Barnes is his name, sister, he was the MD. And then eventually she just kept saying, I want that girl, I want her, I want her to be on the gig. And I remember we did a gig with the Whispers on a cruise ship. <laughs> and I was the only background singer. It was me and Shaka. And the Whispers were playing for us. So, to this day, when I see people that are still in the whispers, they're like, we never seen one girl sing backgrounds with Shaka Khan. Y'all were killing it. So Shaka would be singing leads and then do harmony with me because you know she's incredible. And at that point, I guess I'm blessed, but I became one of her favorites. And at, at one point she combined the people she loved from New York and the people she loved from the West Coast and instead of her doing the bi-coastal bands, she just did one band. So she took me, a guitar player named Mike Campbell, a guy named Bobby Douglas on keys, and it was a horn player, Aaron Hike at one time. And it combined with who she had in, in the West Coast. And then over 30 years, 1990 was my first gig where I, sounds crazy, but, and here we are, 2023. And she literally, at the last show, walked over to me and said, this girl right here, how long have you been singing with me? And I was like, oh, uh, over 30 years and the crowd went crazy. So she really appreciates it. And it makes my day to know that because it's hard to be, I turned down a lot of major artists to be allegiant to her. And it's because if I'm honest, her type of gig was a big challenge for me. I never thought I could do this sort of gig. So I, I you know, to be able to affect her sound to try to sound in, because when you're doing backgrounds, what people should be doing, it should be a thing where 
You listen to the record, you study it, and you try to emulate the sound of the record. And I say that because a lot of background singers now have this ego that, oh, I'm so bad, or I have a great voice, and you probably do have a great voice. But if you really want longevity in this industry, you better listen to the record and try to sound as much like that record. You watch that artist turn around and be like, oh, y'all sound just like the record. You're not necessarily being hired because you're this fabulous singer or that because of your individual voice. Your chime to shine is if they give you a solo, then you go for it, you do you. And that's what I did. But when it came to Freddie Jackson, Freddie Jackson was easy because I did the records. We just were emulating what we did. We did the recordings, but you're not always on the recordings. And so for me, I always say to people, remember Shaka Khan did all her own backgrounds. They don't want you to sound like you. They want you to sound like, you got to sound like this. And that's my biggest gripe with singers nowadays when I sing with younger singers. They're like, oh, they hired me because I'm, I'm dope. I'm the new it. And it's like, mm, can you sound a little bit more like Jaka on this part right here? So I went through that last year in 2022 with new singers. It's just was like, yeah, you really are good. But we don't sound like Jaka Khan when we sing in these background parts. So it, it just, it's been a growing, it's a learning, and I'm always trying to continue to learn. I will say that. And doing jingles also took me to another place because there were commercials where I had to sound like a little girl. He didn't like talking like a baby. So it's, it's, your you know, you're always, yeah. exactly. You're always, and I would love to get back into that. Uh, I mean, even, you know, like thinking about doing what you're doing, doing somewhat of a, a blog to, it was, someone suggested it to me because it's like, you can't have so much of an ego that you think it's all about you. You have to always, when you're singing with three singers or four singers or group singing, the honest truth is in a session, the producer, when you don't know the song, let's just say you're learning it, and the producer says, this is, these are the notes I want. Now you have to create a sound unless you have a singing producer, like a baby face, then he's gonna sing to you what, what he wants. But when they do that, the person who comes closest to sounding like what he wants, they're gonna say, who, who sang that? Y'all all copy that. That's how it works. I mean, that's how it worked when I was singing. And, you know, and so when I say when I was, but when I was recording with big name producers, it's like, and so trick I used to always do, we would learn the parts, do the vocals, and they would say, nah, it's not right yet. Nah, who's, something's off. And I would always find an opportunity to sing by myself, like as if I'm practicing it. And they would say, who, who did that? That's what I want. And, you know, not always was my voice the right one. It might've been my friend, this person or Cindy or, but I, it's a way, especially when there's a struggle and they're not getting the sound that they want. I'm trying to separate it like, well, maybe if I stop singing and they say it's wrong, then I know it wasn't me or, you know, or other way around. So I would just love to um, just try to get people to realize that doing backgrounds is a selfless, it's not about ego. It's not. You know, it's about a lot of ways it's compromise. You know, you, 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 someone might sound better on certain parts and you got to go, okay, oh, I'm going to go that. I'm going to do that with you. Or I'm not going to do what I thought was the part. So it's kind of like a challenge. It, it mm. really is. Well, speaking of challenge, are there one or two uh, songs in Shaka's repertoire that were like the hardest for you to kind of get down? Um, I would say there's a ballad called Everlasting, which is 
on the backgrounds, it's some of the highest notes you will ever sing in your life. Um, that song, I will say, um, she does. She's done a, a. She did a remake of Everywhere, um, and it was her interpretation of it. And so, some of those songs, you kind of have to get in her spirit to see where was she going with, with that. You know what? What I love what you're gonna do for me. That's one of my favorites. And Papillon is a little <clears throat> different because if people don't know, it's literally Luther Vandross, Whitney Houston, and her mother singing the backgrounds on that. So that's one of the few songs that doesn't have the Shaka-esque backgrounds. So you got a man who's a legend, you got a woman who's a legend and her mother. So it's hard to like say, okay, what does she want us to do on this? So we, to be honest with you, we kind of do it Shaka-esque, like, you know, what? We do the, what the Shaka? We do her voice more than Luther. We can't do Luther, you know, with Houston, I wish. <laughs> so, yeah, those are some of the songs where it's mental, you know, like really thinking about what I have to sing. But Everlasting, if you know anything about this song, there's a harmony part. We have to do three-part harmony. So it's like four-part harmony. Shaka sings a I know. Is, that, is that everlasting love or is it a different yes sir song? everlasting okay. love yeah, yeah each time great you... song oh it's so high i'm like i can't even imagine it right now but we all gear up like take a deep breath and let's try to see because even the lower notes for shaka are high for the, you know, the average singer her low alto parts are still like a challenge <clears throat> so it doesn't matter which note you're singing you still have to and it's like a horn so, yeah. And I have to tell you, it's funny that I said like a horn. When I worked with uh, the system, Mike Murphy and the system, they kind of loved me and Cindy Mysell's voice together. And one of the things that they said about our voices was, and no one had ever like dissected it. And so it was like, the reason, he said, the reason why your voices work is because Cindy's voice is like a flute and your voice is like a trumpet. And when you put it together, we like what we get when it comes to that. And, 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 and saying that, that was pre me working with Chaka. And Chaka's voice is like a trumpet. So for me, I was just like, oh, wow, they see my voice. Like so it kind of gave me the, I guess the, the, my nerves were like, maybe I can do it. And, you know, I used to do like fake imitations of Jennifer Holiday, And Kashif used to say, oh my God, do that. That, that boy, I was like, I'm just playing around imitating Jennifer Holiday. He was like, yeah, but I want that right on this part. So it's a lot that goes with this, this thing called music. It's a lot of, hmm, I don't know, like free-spirited things that you can't teach. A lot of it's intuitive also. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Now, Sandra St. Victor was on the show. I know she's oh. done a lot of work with Shaka, too. Right. That's my girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you guys worked together at all or just? We did, we did Shaka together. And if you go on, okay, so not just that. I sang on her record, backgrounds on her record. We've done sessions. I brought her in. She did Freddie Jackson with me, Cindy, her, and a girl named Yolanda, uh, Yogi Lee. And then um, she literally bought Cindy Mizell in. So it was like, she bought Cindy, Cindy bought me. And I think the first time I did David Letterman was with Sandra, me, and another girl. Um, and so I love Sandra. Sandra has a voice that is, she's, she's a, like almost like a baby Shaka too. She's got a lot of the Shaka sound. Um, every time we go to Amsterdam, she's in Amsterdam now, as you know, 
whenever we go there, Shaka, we all hang out. She's in the hotel suite. It's like old, old homes week. Um, but yeah, Sandra is an incredible, she's got her own thing. Rock and roll R&B is how I, you know, I kind of, and that was also intimidating. She kind of knew what she was very young. And so here I am, the only thing I will say, I have much respect for people like her, Lisa Fisher, uh, Cindy, um, any one of us that has gone out and tried to do a solo record will tell you <clears throat> the positive is that we get to sing with all different artists, different genres of music. The curse can be you've done so much that when it comes time to do you, you kind of don't know because you're able to do so much. Like a and chameleon. Yeah. Yes. And when you finally have to do a solo record, and I think that's something that befell me with different, the different projects. It's like, who am I? I've sung with rock and roll cars. I've done Chaka. I've done jazz with my husband. I've done it with Naj. I've done Brian Ferry. Who am I as a soloist? So with Sandra, I, she's always been there and always maintained it and still was able to do backgrounds like, you know, with, with us. So I love Sandra. That's what, you know all my friends. I see you've had everybody on the show. So yeah, Tawatha's been on. Um, oh yay! Um, some of the other background singers that come to mind have been on Lynn Davis. Um, oh, a legend. Marva King, Sue Ann Carwell. Yes, another legend. Yeah. Oh, Carwell, Sue Ann. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. I'm following um, in there. Have you ever had Lynn Davis? I mean, Lynn Bidmont. No. She's out of Cali. Yeah. I've been working on Josie uh, James. Oh my God, another oh, a legend. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny when you think about the movie, 30 Feet in Stardom, that, that movie was my life. And even though it started from the beginning to, you know, to toward the end, it's just when I went to see it, I was just sitting there like for the first time almost from the outside looking in, like, yeah, this is what we do. And it's not about the 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 name, the because so many young singers get caught up in. I'm on tour with da 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 da. What people don't realize is the positive is that the money that you make is that. But when the when the artist decides they're not touring for the year of 2025 or they're doing a movie, so now you don't you're not with that artist. You got to pay your bills. So if you're smart, you you better keep a lot of different irons in the fire as far as artists and other sources of income. You have to because longevity is the hardest part of the pandemic proved this so much to us. You know, it was very devastating to us. And, you know, we all said, oh, when they start, you know, back up, it's going to be amazing. We prayed and hoped, you know, people clearly are coming to concerts now. But last year was a little, little tricky. It was still out there. Do you ever get confused with Karen Wheeler? All the time. Oh, my yeah. gosh. This is so funny that you, you're asking all the good questions. So I remember checking into a hotel in, in uh, LA. And this guy was just like, oh my God, I love your voice. And I was like, you do? Oh, okay, thank you. He gave me a sweet. I got up in my room and I was like, what in the world? Okay, I'm not gonna say anything. This is a mistake. And as I checked out, he was just like, Karen Wheeler, can you just sign this Karen? Because I was just like, oh, that's what. <laughs> and then we toured, um, she's really close to Shaka. Her and Shaka are very close. The Shaka used to live in England. And she, anytime we, she's in New York and we play, she comes, Chaka pulls on stage. And I remember we were at West, uh, Westbury, New York. I don't know if you know the venue, but it's in the round. She came and my dad was there, my mother. And we were waiting to go into Chaka's room. And I'm 
because I'm in the band, obviously, I'm trying to let her know, hey, Shaka, you have guests out here. Karen Wheeler's out here. And she was just like, oh, okay, I'm coming out, you know, through the door. And someone said to my dad, hey, <laughs> are you all, is there something you need to tell your family, Mr. Wheeler? Is this, you know, and we all laughed, kikied. And, and now she writes me, you know, at the time I didn't know her well. Uh, when we, we've done festivals in England and Soul to Soul opens up and, you know, Shaka and her together. And now we kind of fake say we're related, but the honesty is she's from, I think she's from Trinidad. My mother was from Trinidad, but my dad was from the South. So it would have to be on my dad's side, but <clears throat> we pretend that we're related in some way. But yes, this happened to me. Absolutely. Yeah, I figured probably mm -hmm. so. Um, You've worked with uh, so many great female singers besides Shaka. And, you know, you mentioned about the blending and, and, and all that and doing your job. But um, I'm imagining at some point you may have run into, and I don't know if you want to name names, maybe you don't, but where you might clash egos a little bit with like a, a, a bit of a diva, um, mm. you know, mm. has that yeah. ever been an issue or a challenge? Okay. So, oh God, do people get in trouble when they name names? I just want to make sure I'm asking. I'm not going to say deep. Oh, it is deep. It is deeper. I can't even lie. Um, I worked with Madonna. I sang on Madonna's earlier stuff on Sidewalk Talk and uh, Crazy for You in the movie. And I met her via Jelly Bean. <laughs> so when we worked with Jelly Bean, at the time, they were boyfriend and girlfriend. So it was me, Cindy Mizell, and Saida Garrett. And, you know, we're singing in the session. And I was young and, you know, single. And, you know, at the time, of you know, I was... My body was tight, you know, was, uh, and I had on like a mini, uh, it wasn't a mini skirt, but kind of, sort of. And so we're in the studio and Madonna starts and she's very sarcastic. And so she says, um, I don't know what was the whole conversation. I can't remember, but she somehow made some comment and was like, yeah, well, you know, you got, you got big legs. You know, wearing that mini skirt, we got big legs. And I don't know what made me say. I said, well, you got big legs. And she does. She has really big from dancing, her calves. I said, well, your legs are big too. And then I'm in the room going, what did I just do? Oh, and she liked it. She kind of was like, what's your name? And I said, my name. And she, it turned out, what's your sign? And we had the same sign. And then she started talking and I had eight, you know, seven siblings, so did she. She was like, I like you. You know, I auditioned for her tour, but I didn't make it because I do not dance like that. It was about dancing, not just about your vocals. So there was a little bit of an ego there. Um, and also, I subbed for someone with uh, the Queen, uh, the Queen of Soul, and with Diana Ross. I've done those two gigs, and I have some interesting, you know, experiences. You know, Aretha Franklin is the Queen. Uh, I don't really want to tell the story because it was not good, but at the same time, she is who she is, and I think that she felt. Um, well, I can tell this one story. I'll tell one story. Um, I had sung on stuff for CNC Music back then. We had sung on Pride, a song that she remade. It was like a dance song. And so CNC hired me to do Saturday Night Live with her. So I'm in SIR Studios in New York. I'm rehearsing with her band and her one background singer. So it was me, him, and they wanted Cindy and another girl named, oh no, the other girl was there too. So two of us were there. It was supposed to be four background singers plus her including her male background singer. So we rehearsed all night. This was before cell phones, really. I called Cindy and I'm like, where are you? You know, we rehearsed, me and Debbie rehearsed, you're not here, what's going on? And she's like, well, Audrey, I got a call 
after hours of us rehearsing, I already got a call to do the gig with Chawatha and this other woman. So it was, so Cindy Chawatha had already gotten a call with another girl. So I said, well, we're here rehearsing with the band. So how is that possible? So I kind of went and I, I said, well, is this for, you know, what's going on? Who's going to do the gig? And they were like, you rehearsed, you're doing the gig, just show up at Saturday Night Live, show up at the building. So I show up, I'm there, we're on stage, me, the background singer, and the other girl, Debbie, who was from uh, another big group as well. Uh, so we're standing there, we're, we're singing, we're dancing and singing, and in walks the queen with Cindy Tuapa and this other girl. And she walks up to the edge of the stage and she says, who are these singers on stage singing? With, with, I forgot the guy, Billy. Who are these singers? And uh, the MD, her MD says, oh, these are the singers that rehearsed with me last night. They rehearsed all night for hours. You know, CC Music Factory was there. They were, you know, DJing and, you know. And she said, I only want to see the singers that walked in the door with me. And so they were like, no, Aretha, they, they rehearsed. She said, I said, and baby, she, we were so embarrassed. And Saturday Night Live people were like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And you know, and so me and the other girl, we leave the stage and her background singer, the guy, he was like, she, you know, she's really cool people. And I was like, really cool people? I said, mm, I don't think this was handled right. You know, and he was just like trying to, please don't judge by this. And I was like, well, what else am I supposed to think? I said, we, we rehearsed. Am I gonna get paid for rehearsal? So the Saturday Night Live people, you have to sign contracts. So I had already signed the contracts and they were like, we are so sorry. Scott, they could have had seven of us up there saying, because it was a big choir type of song. She could have had, Cindy was already in either way. And so those three could have been in the front. We could have been on a stand up, you know, it would have been seven of us. And it was just the way it was done. So I see um, Saturday Night Live people were like, what can we do? to make up for this. I said, I'd like a, a voucher for my parking because when you at the park by Radio City, it's like, as soon as you pull in, it's 50 bucks. So I was like, I need a voucher for the parking. I said, and I want to get paid as if I did the show. <laughs> I don't know what made me say it. And she said, no problem. She put my name on that contract. I got a check too. And because I'm like, for my time rehearsing the night, I mean, we rehearsed for hours. And then the next day after Saturday Night Live, I was performing with her at this club called the Limelight. It was a church that they turned into a club. It's, it's a weird story, but, and I didn't want to do, after this experience, I was like, I'm not doing that show with her, no way. And Cindy was like, no, no, let's, it was going to be just me and her. I said, after what she did, she said, well, come on, do it, we'll have fun. It'll be me and you, let's do it. So I did it, Cindy got me to do it. And after, when it, when it was time to get paid, Aretha has you come in the room and she individually, gives you an envelope full of money, cash, no check. Same way, Jennifer Holiday is the same way. And I come in the room and I used to wear, I was known for wearing like a lot of funky hats at those time, at that time. And I had on this leather hat and I came in the door and she said, she went to pay me. She said, what's your name? She writes it down, takes the money out of her pocketbook. And she's like, that's a tough hat you wearing right there. And I knew, Scott, she knew I was that girl for that. She knew it. She went out of her way to try to be, it's like, yeah, I'm the same chick that you just fired two days ago. And now I'm here singing back on with you with your band. And she tried to give me compliments and pay me the money and everything. And I was just like, and Shaka loves her. And we, we've performed. 
she would, we performed at her birthday parties. And I don't know if you know, but she notoriously hires famous people to do her birthday party. She gets Shaka, she gets, you know, Glenn Jones, whoever she thinks she likes, she asks you to do it and no one turns down the queen. So basically I had performed in front of her before, but this was different. This was me being hired as a background singer for Saturday Night Live. So that's my story with that. I have a Dinah Ross story too, but just know it, hers was not so bad, but I will say that in, in working with her, she never once, it was never a, hey, how are you? It was definitely, I'm Dinah Ross and you are, I was just like, okay, I'm not gonna say nothing around her. I was standing outside her dressing room door talking to her bodyguard because I knew her bodyguard for years. And you know, he's standing there all stiff and everything. And then I walked by and he made a joke. He made a comment to me. And I said, what are you talking? We were like joking. And you know, but still not talking loud. She was in her room and she opened her dressing room door and just went and just stared at us. And he was just like, and I was like, why? And I just went to the, so those were situations where you are not let forgot who they are. They are legends and they are. So, you know, you're already intimidated working with them, but they want to let you know who they are and don't you forget it. So yeah, it's that old school too, oh, like, like James school. James Brown and all right. those cats. And Ray Charles, I, my friends who have worked with all these, Harry Belafonte, I, there are so many of us, we, we respect them and we love them. And, and if anyone hears the story that worked with them, I have a bunch of friends, please know, I love, love them. My friends have gotten the opportunity to sing with her for years. So they probably didn't go through that. When you've worked with her more than once, this was my first time getting to sing with her. So she don't know me or care who I was at that time. She knew Duwatha, she knew Cindy, didn't know me. But I never forgot it because, you know, I watched Saturday Night Live knowing I was so excited because I had never done Saturday Night Live. So it was just like, oh, my opportunity was, you know, and it was the way it was done. You know, she didn't understand. And that meant that communication with her band member, band leader, obviously didn't tell her this singer's here rehearsing what's going on. It should have been nipped in the bud at the rehearsal, basically. So I can't really blame her, but I wish it was done in a gentler way. It would have been, you know, nice if she, you know, she did while we were standing on stage. So now everyone's looking at us. Who would these singers basically get off the stage? So everybody was like, so yeah, that was my experience. Do you remember <laughs> approximately what year that was? It was in the 90s. So that would have to be, was my daughter born? Hmm. I don't know. No, I think my daughter was born. I don't know when CNC Music Factory, because they had done the song themselves on a record and then she Rita heard it and she wanted to do it over. I don't know. It was in the 90s though. Probably yeah. was the late 90s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little off the wall, but I'm just curious since you're so close to Shaka, did you ever cross paths at all with Prince? Yes. You did. Very much so. Yes. He's asking all the right questions. Yes. We toured with him. Um, we've been to his house to record. Um, they had a very, almost like a couple relationship. I know that sounds weird, but he revered her. So the sassy side of Chaka, he, he let her beat him up <laughs> verbally. And we would just sit there and be like, you know, she, you know, we, we toured, and I can't use the language that was used, but we toured with, there was a tour of Shaka, of Prince, and Larry Graham. And Larry Graham saying, I do it on my first record as well. So I knew Larry from my record, The Wild Capital. 
So Larry would go on first, then us, then, then the opposite Prince. And so at one point, the way that Prince was with his band was so, um, it was so structured that, and probably because of the monies that they were getting paid, but even on a day off, there was no days off for them. Like if he decided he wanted to play a club on an off day, they had to get dressed like as if they, you know, they had to walk around always in their outfits, always like, and that's when he was wearing that thing on his, his ear and they all had to wear them too. Ear cuff. Yeah. yeah. And you would see all of them like in the elevator, like dressed up. We were like, we come from the mall. Like, where y'all going? We had to go. He went, I remember when uh, Waiting to Exhale came out. He rented out an entire movie theater in, I forgot what city, but I can see it, but I don't remember. I want to say the West Coast. So it was a day off. And they, we were like, where y'all going? They were like, we got to go to the movies. We were like, what? What y'all going to see? He's going, we're going to see Waiting to Exhale. And I was like, oh, I wanted to see that. They're like, yeah, but you going when you want to go. We have to go. So they were dressed up like they were getting ready to go on stage. They did this, they went to the movies and there was one day off where we were in Detroit. I remember this. And they were going to a dinner. And I was like, I'm not going. I, I don't feel good today. I, I just, I need a break. And we were on tour tour. So everybody was like, oh, you're not going? I said, no, I'm not going. And it was like, you know, if you're gonna fire me or should I gonna let him fire me, then I'm fired. So, you know, I kind of used an excuse as to why I wasn't going, which was, you know, acceptable. They couldn't, they couldn't say that I, I didn't feel bad. So I didn't feel well. They go to dinner and they come back and tell me the story. And then I was like, I wish I was there. Oh my God, I missed it. So they were sitting at a table, long table. And it was a sort of table where in order to get in the seats, you had to um, slide by. You know, everybody slides in. You're up, up against the wall. So Prince slid in first. And then Chaka, then the band member, all the band members, everybody who came. And it was like, and Larry Graham was there too. So they're talking and I guess Chaka was mad at Prince. There started to be tension on the tour anyway. She felt like little, the old school thing that they used to do, the sound wouldn't be as good for the opening acts. And then, you know, little stuff I didn't know about. And then one time they must've had a big fight because they had us, the dressing room was like a little closet for us. For Shaka's people. And Shaka was like, oh, no, you're not putting my people in closets now. What do we? So it, we saw it go awry somewhat. But this particular night, they went to dinner. They're sitting in the rest and in, in the thing. And Shaka and him, the only way for Shaka and for Prince to get out was for everybody, the, the seven people, to slide out. So they're talking. And as they're talking, Larry says something to Prince like, um, you know, giving him all this respect and like, if it wasn't, he brought the funk to this, that, and the other, and, you know, just like bowing down to Prince. And Shaka said, and I can't use the language, but she said something to the effect of, you mf -er. She's like, you were Larry Gray. You were in. He copied you. You're the legend maker. Where do you think he got the funk from? She said, Stop kissing his butt, you know, basically. You know, you you got da 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 You started out with da 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 You think this is not where he got your sound from? And she, Prince was like, he just like scunched down physically, they said. He was like, and she said, you, you need to stop talking to Larry that way. She was cursing at him and he said, and he turned to our musical director and he said, help, help. And she said, yeah, you need help. You don't, don't you treat Larry like that. And, you're, and Larry, you're a punk for, you know, it was just, and I missed it. Everybody came back, girl, you, I was like, I should have went, you know? So yeah, but we, we, 
the thing that he would do that was so weird is he would lurk. Like if the door was cracked a little bit and we're, we would all dress in the shopping room. She would, she would say, put the girls with me. So we would all be in her room and he would like, like sneak by and we'd see these eyes looking or he would come in the room and we, the room was big so we wouldn't know that he was in a, and we'd be in there singing and acting stupid and he would be listening to all our little conversations and we'd see him sneaking back out. It's just, you know, he was just like, he was a character. He was, he was but talented as all get out. And a couple of times he would, it's a famous thing where he, he came and we were at soundcheck and Shaka never does soundcheck, just so you know, we check her mics. She doesn't do soundchecks. And uh, he was at the board and we were at like an arena and he was at the back of the board with that walking stick, that thing that he used to always have that stick. And he was watching the whole show, watching the sound check rather. And he said something to our sound man. And then he took that stick and walked all the length of the whole arena up to the stage. And he comes to the side of the stage and he says, stop. And he goes to the keyboard player. Hey man, he says, am I paying you to only play with one hand, because I guess he was he was playing a part, but he was using only one hand, and, and he wasn't using both hands. He said, "Am I paying you to?" And our, he didn't say anything, but under his breath, he was like, "Shaka's paying me, not you." But technically, he was paying us. Then he went over to he went over to each instrument and was like, "Hey man, when you hit the snare, you're not doing this right." And he told our drummer what to do, and then he goes over to the guitar player and said, "Did you even listen to Rufus, man? Did you even listen to it?" He takes the man's guitar and proceeds to shred. It was once you get started. He played, the, we were like, I whispered to one of the background singers. I said, if he comes over here and sings my part, I'm out, I'm done. If he sings, if he corrects me and tells me my part is wrong, I'm out of here. He didn't say nothing to the singers and he didn't say anything to our musical director who was Melvin, the bass player. So it's a famous story. And he was just like, man, this is what you're supposed to be playing. I want you to start it. He was like, and then he came over to the keyboard player and was like, what happened to this part? And he started, because you know he plays every instrument that there is. And I'll never forget it, never forget it. And whenever he would come on stage, he would always come on and, you know, do the, his song with Chaka. We would do our version, but he would sing along with us. So yeah, I, I've been in a room with legends. I, when I think about this, Gladys, my husband's tour with Gladys, you know, so it's like, you get to meet these people and you grew up studying their records. It's just amazing. Were, were you ever there uh, did, when he came up and did Sweet Thing with Shaka? Mm-hmm. 30 years, yes. So, and we... When, uh, when Prince did it with Shaka Khan. Yes, I was there. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah. And we have recordings of uh, the one gig at Madison Square Garden. He came out and nobody knew he was there. So it was like a surprise. The audience was like, they would lose their minds. And she would say, I have somebody... You want to come out? And then he would just come out and they would go, it would, they would go crazy. And this was not, at that time, we were not on tour with him. We were on our own. But he would come see her whenever he could, you know. But yes, I was there for that. And you're trying to focus as a background singer. You're trying to keep singing and not think about, oh my God, you know, part of history because Prince is singing, you know, this song with her. So, yeah. Yep. I remember, uh, Audrey, from right around that time when, um, they did a video. They released a video of um, with Shaka, Larry, and Prince, and they all yeah. did live. Uh, maybe it was shot at Paisley Park or something. I'm not it sure. It was. If... I was not there for that. But yes, okay. that that's I was not there for that because 
that was, uh, it was like a, a last minute spontaneous thing. We didn't know, you know, Shaka has a calendar for herself. And we have ones with her. Like we just came back from Toronto. This was just a track gig, a private event. Wasn't the whole band. It was just her singers, her and management. So there's always a different calendar, an agenda. When we're not working, she's doing a thousand other things that will people say, are you going to be here for this? And we're like, what are you talking about? And then we look at it and it's a solo appearance for just her. So that was a thing that Larry probably, not Larry, I'm sorry, Prince put together. And I just, I wasn't there for it, but we were on tour. I remember that. I do remember. It was way overdue for her to go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'll say that. My God. And I was, I had the fortune of going in March. Uh, she was doing a Q and A. And uh, so I posted it on social media because, you know, she invited those of us who had been with her forever. And initially some of them were like, I don't think I'm going to come. I said, I'm going, this is history. Now this was before we knew that they had put her in, but something told me the way they were revering her. They had put this dress of hers from, I feel for you. I think they had put this little display up and I was like, no, wait a minute. They got to be putting her in this year because they are making way for her in this room. So I was just like, yeah, something's going down. Something's going up. And then like a month later, we found out that she had been, it's, it's overdue. To be honest with you, Rufus should have been in it. Get about yeah, just, I... I'm like, what? And, and then I have to tell you that there was a guy who worked for the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he was saying, um, he said, you know, the people who make the choice for who is good enough to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he said, they have a skewed opinion that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is only for older rock and roll white guys. And this was a white guy saying, and it was just weird because he was just like, they don't seem to, he said, and, and he wasn't just saying black, white, he was saying men versus women. They don't even want the women in there. And it's like, how are you doing that? Music is music. I mean, it, you know, some of the people that are in there are overshot before she got there. It's like, why are they worthy? And we have been saying that for years. Her fans have been fighting for this. And I'm so glad this year. And she's also, I think she might be getting another award um, too. So it's like, she deserves it. I mean, you know, she's worked really, really hard. And through her life, her hard life, much respect for her. I do so much. Even though she's become a friend and a, and a boss, I, I definitely separate that because that's one thing from old school singers. That's another thing that I feel like needs to be retaught to some of these young singers, they're not your friend. They love you, they treat you as a bandmate, but remember, always respect. Don't matter how close you think you are with them, you have to respect it. You have to give that separation between working for them and chumming up with them. And that's a pitfall that I see with a lot of people think, oh, that's my friend. That's not your friend. Mm -mm. It's kind of like being a good parent, you know? Absolutely. Same thing. But yeah. you, would you want your kid? Exactly. And no matter what age, my daughter's 20 something years old. I wish you would talk to me a certain way. It's just a respect. It's a, it's a perfect example. You put it in a good way. Someone doesn't understand it. I'm going to use that as an example to say, you always respect your parents. You always remember who they are. My, my husband even will say, oh, you've known her over 30 years. You should, why you don't want to call him with that? I'm like, no. Because everybody does that. Everybody that's working just about steps over that line and I just I just don't want to do it. It's very difficult for me. I don't just call her just for no reasons. I don't do it. Always respect her. 
And you have an honor coming up yourself, right? Yes. And I'm, that was another shocker. You know, I was told that and I was like, what? Are you kidding? And I really appreciate it because I don't necessarily look for the roses and I'm just so grateful to be doing it and trying to do it well, trying to stay, you know, maintain my vocals, maintain myself physically. Because, you know, you know, we all are feeling those little <laughs> aches and pains and, you know, different things. So, yeah. And I'm really, I'm honored to be in the company of the people that they have me with. It's amazing as well. Yeah, coming up in September. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. And um, is there any other uh, session or experience that we didn't cover that you just want to get out there to the viewers and listeners? I can't think of, uh, well, I will say that getting to initially sing with um, Billy Ocean when Billy was, I remember that one of the sessions, Michael McDonald came in to sing backgrounds with us. And I was just like, you know, you try to be cool, but you're like, saying, what? He's coming in to sing back. Because, oh. you know, he used to work with this particular producer at, um, at the time. So, and, you know, that session was, and I also did a session with uh, um, Angela Bofield, one of her last records. So for me, these are people that I, in high school, I looked up to, like, not Billy Ocean necessarily, but Angela Bofield for sure. I remember her first record came out. Angel, yeah. Oh. Oh God. And so for me now, and she, for some reason, she just loved me. She always wanted me. I'm doing this play. I think you should be in the play, Audrey. And I was like, Oh no, Angela, I don't think I could, that's how grueling, you know? So, I mean, off the top of my head that I remember doing Hiroshima, that was a different genre for me. And so proud to do it. And last but not least, I guess what Brian Ferry flew me out to London to sing on his last, well, the record I sang on, and it was produced by um, Dave, Ma Dave Matthews, is that? no, not Dave Matthews, the guy from, uh, oh my God, I can't think of his last name, but it was a big deal to be flown out. And I remember at the time I was pregnant. Not Dave Stewart? Yes, Stewart. Stewart. Okay. Saying that. There you go, Dave Stewart. And here I am, and I'm like, oh my God, Dave Stewart is producing this, and I'm full. And it was just me singing backgrounds. And so, you know, those things, you still get those, those goosies, like, you know, anybody that's of legendary fame and you getting the chance to now be in their company, you have to respect it and you have to honor it. So I'm still 80,000 years old and I'm still feeling those, you know, always, even with, to be very honest with you, even with my husband, it's so weird. People ask us and ask me and I, they'll say, how does it happen? Because, you know, we have a full recording studio. Um, and so I said, I could be upstairs washing the dishes. And he'll text me and say, hey, can you come down and sing on this? And I'm like, okay, let me get some tea. Let me get some throat lozenges, you know, because I want to be my best. I don't, I don't ever take it that, oh, it's my husband. Because, you know, he could be intimidating to sing for as well. He's very particular. So it's like, if you keep that humbleness about you and always strive to be your best and never think ego-wise, um, it's only, I'm getting this because I'm all of that. If you don't, there's a lot of talented people out here. So praise God, be, be happy that someone still wants to use you on something and always treat it that way. I was excited to go to Toronto. You know, I, I, you know I'm still at that point where I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to Canada. I love Canada. Canada's a very clean, beautiful place. So always find the joy in it. It's not always easy because the, uh, the hardest part of what we do in regards to touring is to travel. 
the on-stage part is fun. That's that's what I love to do. I'm getting paid the same, but it's the grueling connections, the mm. traveling, the packing, the unpacking, the packing again, getting a crack of dawn to go to the airport or the tour bus. Nothing that's, glamorous about that. That's nothing glamorous. <laughs> Well, thanks for sharing so much, Audrey. Thank so appreciate it. And it's um, been so much fun talking to you. And thanks for all the great music through the years on behalf of everybody. Thank you. Thank you. That makes me feel so good. Oops, sorry, my thing. Yeah, thank you so much. And I, I love it. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one. Thank you.